Heavenly Father, God, again this morning, uh, we thank you for all the blessings that you give to us. We thank you for the praises that we had this morning. And Lord, as we dive into your word, I pray that you will help us to uh, absorb um, the, the knowledge about you. Help us to learn about you, but not just to learn about you or not just to, to have knowledge, Lord, but help us to grow closer to you. Help us to, to build our relationship with you through your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So before service, I was kind of joking about preaching from behind the pulpit because I've been here for, um, I don't know, probably two and a half, getting close to three years, and I don't think I've preached from back here a single time. Um, and I was joking about it, and, and John said, well, go ahead and throw everybody off. So I figured I'll give it a try. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with my hands since I don't have to hold my tablet, but we'll give it a go. Um, but we are uh, continuing in our sermon series in the return from exile. Um, and the, the whole theme for this series is depending on God. So we're calling it the return from exile because we're looking at the post-exilic texts. And these are the texts that were written after the Jews, uh, they were, or the Israelites were sent into exile, and then they came uh, back after King Cyrus issued a decree allowing them to come back to rebuild the temple. So it's post-exile. They are the post-exilic texts. Uh, you see we've got these six books listed, um, Ezra, Esther, and Nehemiah. Those are the historical books. And then Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi are the prophetic books that make these up. Um, this morning, though, we're going to be looking in Zechariah chapter 1, verses 7 through 20. And this is the first two night visions. Um, and I didn't write the, the main idea up there. I guess I didn't finish it. Um, it's, the main idea is that God restores. Well, I guess we could say God is a restorer. But God restores. That's our main idea. And so as we're reading through this, we're going to break it into three chunks. Um, we're going to see a context. Or we're going to look into the context of this. Uh, we get to see a vision about God's jealousy. And then there's a second vision, and it's a promise of justice. So we'll go ahead and jump right into this text, uh, starting in Zechariah 1, verse 7. It says, On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, and the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Iddo. So again, I'm going to highlight this time stamp here. It's on the 24th day of the 11th month. As we've gone through this series, I think I've highlighted every one of these little time stamps. Um, but this one here, I think it, it, it's important for us to see this. It, it helps us to build the timeline. So let's uh, go back and review that timeline to get some historical context of what's going on. So the nation of Israel was punished by God for their rebellion and their evil ways. And they were sent into the exile, first by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians. After the Babylonian Empire was defeated by the Persian Empire, King Cyrus issued a, a decree allowing the Jews to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. But not only was he giving permission for them to go back to rebuild the temple, he also provided for them to be able to do that. He gave them a, a source of funding and, and a source of uh, material to be able to rebuild the temple. Um, and so they're there, they go back and they start rebuilding the temple. And they start with the altar. And once the altar is finished, they start making sacrifices on the altar. And they start worshiping God through their sacrificial worship. And when they do this, the, their neighbors, the, the neighboring people around, they didn't like it very much. And so they came and they pressured the, the Israelites, so they pressured the Jews and said, you should not be doing this. And since we don't want you to do this, they intimidated them. They, they caused fear in the Israelites. And so they stopped building. And that cease lasted for 15 years. Um, and that happened, or that, that cease lasted for 15 years. And then um, uh, God 
spoke to them to get them back to work. They spoke, God spoke to them through the prophet Haggai to convince them to get back to work. Um, and that was in the sixth month of the second year of King Darius. Then a month later, in the seventh month, there were some who were complaining about the size of the temple and how it was much smaller than the old temple. Uh, so God reassured them that the glory of the temple does not come from its size, but from God's presence. Um, then the next month, God warned the Israelites through Zechariah to repent from their nation's history and the rebellion against God. And then a month later, in, in the ninth month, uh, the, second, the ninth month of the second year of King Darius, Haggai warned the people to repent from their own uh, sinful neglect of God's mission for them. We're now just two months later from that, and this is the 11th month of the second year of King Darius. Now, on a side note, I know, and, and many of you probably know, that this, uh, this uh, king's name should be pronounced Darius, not Darius, but to me, it looks like Darius, and I think probably to most of you, it looks like Darius. So I'm going to keep saying Darius, and hopefully you can forgive me for mispronouncing it instead of saying Darius. Anyways, Zechariah, he's there, and it's in the middle of winter. Well, how do you know it's the middle of winter? Well, it says the uh, 24th day of the 11th month. So the, they used a lunar calendar, and so this would have been late January, early February for them. So it's the middle of winter. And Zechariah gets a series of visions from God. We'll actually learn in the next verse that these visions come in the middle of the night for Zechariah. And so they're called the night visions. There's a series of eight of these, and they last all the way through the sixth chapter, sixth chapter of Zechariah. Um, so I told you all at the beginning of the series that we were going to be going through a lot of text this year. And in order to do so, we wouldn't really be able to spend a whole lot of time focusing on any one text. So over the next three weeks, so today and then the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at two of these visions each week, or at least that's the plan. Hopefully we'll be able to, to get through that. Um, so by the time we get to the end, I'm sure there's still going to be a lot of questions that you have about these, a lot of questions that I still have about these. But if I'm being completely honest with you, we could spend a whole year just looking at these eight visions and come away with still more questions. So I'm not going to try to answer every question or try to identify every symbol in these visions as we go through. We have to remember our purpose of looking at these post-exilic texts. Remember, the, the Israelites were coming back from exile, and they were rebuilding the temple of God. They were being, uh, God was claiming them again as his people. And we're looking at these texts as a church revitalization. We want to know what message does God have for us as a church revitalization to, to, to learn from uh, what the Jews were going through. So I don't think we have to identify every single symbol in these prophetic visions. I don't think we have to parse every single verb that's going through here to be able to really understand what God is saying to them. What we want to do is we want to look at God's character and how that applies to us. So we'll go ahead and get right into this. This first vision starts in chapter, or sorry, verse 8. He says, I looked out in the night. That's where I said we, we get to see that it's in, in the night. He says, I looked out in the night and saw a man riding on a chestnut horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the valley. Behind him were chestnut, brown, and white horses. I asked, what are these, my Lord? The angel who was talking to me replied, I will show you what they are. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, they are the ones the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. They reported to the angel of the Lord standing among the myrtle trees. We have patrolled the earth, and right now the whole earth is calm and quiet. Then the angel of the Lord responded, How long, Lord of armies, will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and the cities of Judah that you have been angry with these 70 years? 
The Lord replied with kind and comforting words to the angel who was speaking with me. So the angel who was speaking with me said, Proclaim, the Lord of armies says, I am extremely jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. I am fiercely angry with the nations that are at ease, for I was a little angry, but they made the destruction worse. Therefore, this is what the Lord says in mercy. I have returned to Jerusalem to, uh, I have returned to Jerusalem. My house will be rebuilt within it. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies, and a measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem. Proclaim further, this is what the Lord of armies says. My cities will again overflow with prosperity. The Lord will once more comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. So as we begin to uh, work through understanding this passage, it's helpful to identify the characters. Uh, so obviously there's Zechariah. He's the one receiving the message. And the second character that we see uh, is God. So God is giving Zechariah this vision. Um, and in this, in this passage, he's identified by the title Lord. And you'll see that in all caps, Lord, um, or Lord of Armies. And both times that Lord is in all caps. Uh, this is in all caps to distinguish this as the name Yahweh. This is the name for God. And it is distinct from the general term Lord. Uh, in the Hebrew text, they wouldn't actually write the name God as they thought it was too sacred to be written. So instead, they wrote what would basically be equated to YHWH. Um, and that has become known as the Tetragrammaton. There's not going to be a quiz on that later. Uh, so out of respect, Christian scholars and Bible publishers uh, still don't print the name Yahweh in our Bibles. They will uh, print Lord in all caps. So anytime in your Bible when you're reading through and you see Lord in all caps, that is referring to God, and that is God's holy name, Yahweh. Now, there are also two angels in this vision. Uh, there's the angel who's guiding Zechariah through the vision and communicating with the other characters in the vision. In verse 9, Zechariah calls him Lord, but your translation hopefully uses lowercase for that one, because that's just a general term of respect and not the name for God. And then the final character in this, is the horseman. All right? The first vision is dominated by this figure of an angelic horseman. He appears to be distinct from the angelic messenger that's guiding Zechariah. This figure is sometimes referred to as a man uh, in verses 8 and 10, and at other times he is explicitly identified as the angel of Yahweh or the angel of the Lord. So now that we've met the characters, let me go back and summarize this vision for you. So Zechariah looks up in the night sky and he sees the angel of Yahweh sitting on a chestnut horse. So a chestnut horse would be a, a reddish-brown horse. He's sitting on a horse over by the myrtle trees, and behind him there's some other horses. Zechariah asks his angelic guide, what's going on? And the guide says, well, I'll show you. So the angel of Yahweh responds that they've been sent from God to patrol the earth, and the earth is peaceful. And so instead now, uh, the, an sorry, the angel of Yahweh then asks Yahweh, you were angry with the Israelites and you punished them for 70 years. That's the exile. They were in exile for 70 years. He said, you've punished them for 70 years. How much longer is this going to last? And Yahweh responds. But in his answer, he doesn't respond to the angel of God or even to Zechariah. He responds to this uh, angelic guide that Zechariah has. Um, and so God responds to him. And then the angelic guide tells Zechariah what God says. And God basically says, Yes, I was angry with the Israelites for their sin, and so I sent them into exile. But these nations that were exiling the Jews, they, they were too harsh with their punishment. They were too hard on them. And so I'm going to bring my people back, 
I'm going to rebuild my temple, but not only that, I'm also going to punish these nations because they doled out my discipline, but they were too harsh in, the, in that discipline. Then God's going to make uh, the, the Jews a prosperous nation again, and they will be his people once again. So what is God telling the Jews in this vision? What is the message that Zechariah is supposed to bring to the Israelites? Well, God understands that the 70 years of exile were rough, but he wasn't simply punishing them. And see, there's a difference between punishment and discipline. Punishment is where you say, okay, you did something wrong, so now I'm going to execute some wrong consequence because of your wrong behavior, or not wrong consequence, I'm going to execute a bad consequence because of your wrong behavior. The, the purpose of punishment is behavior modification. And so God says, I wasn't simply punishing you to change your behavior. On the other hand, he says, I was disciplining you. So what is discipline? Discipline is where you, it's, it's very similar to punishment. You are executing some, um, some bad punishment or some bad consequence because of wrongful behavior. But the purpose, the purpose isn't behavior modification. The purpose is reconciliation. It's to restore the relationship. So God says, yes, it's been rough. You were punished, but it's not punishment simply for punishment's sake. It's punishment for discipline. I want to restore this relationship with you. God looks at the Jews and he says, I know exile was rough. I know the Assyrians killed many of you. You were tortured. I know the Babylonians tortured and killed. I know time under the Persian Empire has been rough, but I'm bringing you back and I'm going to set you back up as my people, make you a prosperous nation once again and I'm going to punish those other nations. So, you may be out there saying, so what? What does this mean for me, and what does it mean for us here at Victory? Well, that's a very good question, and it's one that's not always that easy to answer. You see, we have to be careful when we're looking at the Old Testament, and we can't simply claim God's promises for the, uh, the Jews or the Israelites. We can't simply claim them for us. We have to go back and figure out what is God saying what does this tell us about God's character, and how does that apply to my life? So I will try to answer that question. What does it mean for us? So the key here is to look at what this passage tells us about God's character. The main thing it tells us about God's character is that God is loving, and He cares about relationship. You see, like the Israelites, each one of us have sinned against God, and each one of us has our relationship with God broken because of that. Our relationship with God is broken because of our sin. But God, looking at us in love, provided a way to reconcile the relationship that we broke. See, probably the most well-known verse in Scripture is John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. That doesn't mean that you'll never sin again. We will still sin. Now, hopefully, as we mature as a disciple of Jesus, we will sin less, not, not become sinless, but we will sin less. But there will be times when we sin, and we have to be disciplined by God. But His character remains true. He loves us. And so His discipline is not merely for behavior modification. The discipline is there to restore the relationship, because God loves to have relationship with His people. God wants relationship with His creation. We were created to be in relationship with God. That was the whole reason He created us. And so He disciplines us to try to bring us back to our purpose, the reason we were created, to be in relationship with Him. 
God's discipline has the purpose of leading to our repentance and turning back to Him. So that's the first vision, a promise of reconciliation after repentance. Well, see, that seems fitting since Zechariah's first prophecy that we looked at last week, it was a call to repentance. So Zechariah calls them to repentance, and now through God's word, he tells them, if you repent, then your relationship will be restored. So let's get into this second vision, picking up in verse 18. It says, Then I looked up and saw four horns. So I asked the angel who was speaking with me, What are these? And he said to me, These are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. I asked, What are they coming to do? He replied, These are the horns that scattered Judah, so no one can raise their head. These craftsmen have come to destroy them, to cut off the horns of the nations that raised a horn against the land of Judah to scatter it. So what's this vision all about? This vision is shorter than the last one, or at least the description of it is shorter than the last one. But we have three of the same characters from the first vision. There's Zechariah, there's the angelic God, and there's Yahweh. But we have some new objects and characters. Uh, there are the four horns and the four craftsmen. See, in the ancient Near East, animal horns were a symbol of political and military power. In biblical apocalyptic texts, we see these horns often um, symbolizing evil nations and evil governments that work against God's will and work against God's people. These four horns in this passage signify the pagan nations that God used to discipline Israel. And the four craftsmen are coming to punish those nations. Well, why would they be punished if they were just doing what God wanted them to do. They were just following God's will in punishing and disciplining the nation of Israel. And see, in the previous vision, we learned that they were tasked with doling out God's discipline, but they took that discipline a little bit too far. They took that discipline too far, and, and they were too harsh in giving that discipline. So, God is punishing them for their evil ways. Now, Scholars argue over what nations exactly the four horns are referring to and what exactly is the identity of the four, the four craftsmen. Now, I can't give you an exact answer to that one. Like I said, we could study these visions for a year and still come away with questions. I think that would be one of the questions that we won't know until we get to heaven. I would say, though, easily that Assyria and Babylon count as two of the four horns. But the other two, I don't know. Now, that is assuming that the number four in the four horns, that the number four is an actual number of four and not symbolization for something else. But if we consider, some, uh, we can consider the prophetic telescoping phenomenon where a single vision in the Old Testament might have several fulfillments throughout history or going into the future, uh, we might be able to guess at a couple of other answers. You see, the horns... These evil nations, these, these uh, evil kingdoms, caused God's people to scatter. So maybe Rome could be one of the horns, because under certain emperors, the Roman Empire persecuted Christians and caused Christians to scatter. Well, for that matter, maybe Israel itself could be one of those horns, because they persecuted the early church and caused the early church to scatter. When we look at the end times, we know that there will be a time of tribulation. So maybe one of these horns is reserved for that time. I don't know. Like I said, I'm fairly confident that Assyria and Babylon would count as two of these four horns. The other two, I don't know. Those are simply guesses that I have. But what about the four craftsmen? I'm even less confident in my answer about three of those. See, some scholars suggest that Persia would be one of the four craftsmen since they defeated the Babylonians and under the Persian Empire, the, the Jews were allowed to return back to Jerusalem. Um, some 
argue maybe it's Greece or Rome. I don't know. But as I implied, I'm pretty confident about the identity of one, uh, one of these craftsmen. But again, we have to look, at to the, look into the end times to see that. You see, we know that Jesus is coming to reign as the rightful king over all of his creation. In doing so, he will defeat his enemies and send them into eternal punishment. At that point, it's going to be punishment, not discipline, because there's, at that point, the, the, it's too late to restore the relationship. So Jesus is coming back. He's going to defeat his enemies, send them into eternal punishment, and establish his perfect kingdom. Now, again, we have to ask, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us here at Victory? Or what does this mean for you individually as a Christian living in uh, America 2020? All right. Well, first, Christian persecution is real, and Jesus warns us about it. But from this passage, we learn that we don't have to worry about justice for the persecutors. God will handle that. As a matter of fact, our job is not to enforce justice, but to show grace and mercy. Jesus is coming back, and he will bring justice with him for those who persecute his people. He will punish them. Now, in our culture, persecution is not nearly at the level that we see in many other countries. But I think that day is coming. I don't know if it will be later this year or later this millennia. I don't know. But I do think that there will be a time when Christians in America will be persecuted just like other nations. When that day comes, we can rest in the promise that Jesus will return and terrorize those people that persecute his people. But justice is not ours to serve. We're here to serve mercy and grace through spreading the gospel. So our application, what application do we get from this passage? Remember, our application always comes from our definition of a disciple and looking at uh, Matthew 4.19, where Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. The, the knowing comes where Jesus says, follow me. So the disciple has accepted the lordship of Jesus. The being is where Jesus says, I will make. So we are being constantly remade by the Holy Spirit, by the, by the gospel. And then the doing is where uh, Jesus says that we will be fishing for people or fishers of men. So the disciple is doing the work of Jesus. So what is our application from this passage, from these two visions? Well, first is to know that God wants to reconcile your relationship with him. Our relationship with God has been broken because of sin. He promises that if we repent from our sins and through faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that he will, show, uh, he will restore us as his children. Now, that's not a one-time promise either. For many of us, we've cashed in on that promise time and time again. Not that we've had to be saved time and time again, but that we continue to sin and we need to repent so that we can grow closer to God. See, as a disciple, you will need to repent daily of your sins. And each time you repent, your relationship with God grows closer. The second application point is to be comforted because God brings justice. I know I said earlier that Christian persecution in our culture is not as severe as other countries, but that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. When you are ridiculed for believing in the Bible or excluded for some opportunity because of your faith, be comforted. God brings justice. It's upsetting it's frustrating or even infuriating to be ostracized because you are a Christian. But justice is not ours to serve. We are here to serve the gospel. That's the do. Spread the gospel. See, for the Jews, they were to hear this message and be motivated to build the temple. 
for us, we should hear this message and be motivated to build God's kingdom. Building God's kingdom, spreading the gospel, the good news of God's kingdom. Once you have, called, once you have come to faith, Jesus calls us to make disciples of all people groups, even those that persecute you, even those that persecute Christianity. And since we don't have to worry about serving justice, we can focus on serving mercy and grace. We can focus on living out the gospel. Those that persecute Christians, it's not too late for them to be saved either. See, I've given this illustration a couple times before, and I'm going to come back to it because I really like it. I don't know, some of you may not like it as much, but I really like this illustration. See, in 1985, there was a movie that came out, and it was called Rambo First Blood Part Two. And the idea behind this movie is that you have this, uh, this really great soldier, and he's, uh, he's actually released from prison and re-enlisted, uh, temporarily re-enlisted into the army to go to Vietnam to rescue POWs. Well, actually, his mission wasn't to rescue POWs, he was just supposed to document it. But he's there, and, and he sees these POWs, and he can't just sit back and do nothing about it. And so you have this one soldier who goes in and infiltrates this enemy camp and rescues these POWs. See, as a Christian, you are John Rambo. Because we are here, we are in spiritual warfare. And those people who are persecuting us, they are the POWs. I know it feels like they're the enemy, but they're not the enemy. The enemy is the devil, and he's captured their mind. The enemy is sin, and he's broken their relationship with God. We, we are to go and be John Rambo and rescue those POWs and bring them back to God's family. And we do that through spreading the gospel. We do that through spreading love and sharing mercy and grace. So our application, know that God wants to reconcile you, be comforted because of God's justice, and to spread the gospel. Let us pray. Heavenly Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these visions that you've given Zechariah and that you have preserved them for us to be able to learn about you. God, we, we thank you that you are a reconciler, that you treat us with love even though we don't deserve that love. Help us, God, to be comforted because we know that you will bring justice. And help us, God, to know that since we don't have to bring justice, that we can bring your gospel. God, help us to go out into this spiritual warfare and bring back these POWs, God. Help us, Lord, to uh, reconcile other people's relationship with you by bringing the gospel to them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.